Welcome to Cause High Viz. My name is Alice Hayes, lawyer in the construction practice. This week, we have a special episode. We were fortunate enough to host a panel discussion based on how leaders in the built environment can foster a positive culture, particularly for younger women in both the building and construction industry and the legal field. The panel, comprising of A. Tillia Projects Corporate Director Lisa Loschiavo, Lendlease Victorian Regional Manager Commercial Urban Regeneration Lisa Gordon, and our own Jane Hyder, CORE's construction partner, explore questions including how companies can best foster a positive culture and what the benefits to business are. Now, let's go to the panel. This evening's discussion is about understanding um, how we as leaders in the built environment can foster a positive culture. In your opinions, what are the benefits to business of fostering a, a positive culture? Hey, I think the benefits are really clear and particularly if you've been involved where you've had a change program or a transformation program, the, the key benefits that we've found all over the you know, last 20 years is it reduces all the other time that you spend that's not driving your business going forward. So if you don't have a positive culture, a positive culture what you end up doing is managing all of the problems that sort of get in the way of your business moving forward. So we've seen, or I've seen, and particularly at Atelier Projects, what we're seeing is our retention is really high. We have a real high level of engagement, so we're no longer having to give people, we don't have position descriptions, we don't do performance reviews, there's honest conversations every day, it's an open-door policy, we talk about our why, um, and it's really important for every business or every business group to establish their whys and to really share that with the team so everybody knows exactly what you're doing at every you know every sort of point in, in the business so we've seen um, you know our retentions really great we've got an employee referral program and that sort of is a really good measure of what where your engagement level is and every time we go to recruit we generally get about 10 CVs from the internal group ah yeah so you're absent there's no absent well there's very little absenteeism um, yeah, so for, for me, and particularly because of my, gra- uh, my background, having a positive culture is absolutely key. What, what are some of the better ideas that you've um, implemented at your workplace that you believe contributed towards uh, fostering a positive culture? Um, well, well, I tend to, um, I, I'm with you, by the way, I think culture is just everything. Culture is the thing that drives business efficiency and improvement. and it's very interesting in law firms because you have um, often they're quite siloed and you have separate teams and you can really see quite clearly in a team that has and bizarrely you can often have different cultures within an organization and you can see the areas or business units or teams that have poor culture can really see how that impacts on their day-to-day business in terms of engagement and staff turnover and things like that um for me, the best way to try and 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 lead and create a good culture is to be totally, totally transparent and non-hierarchical and to communicate clarity. And that's about managing expectations because if I, I think that if people, um, and to treat people the way I want to be treated. Yeah. Um, so if people, if people know what is expected of them and, and it's a, about your point about having those daily discussions, we all get told you've got to have daily discussions with your people. You don't need to have this stupid yearly PDR thing because you are actually managing the process as you go through the year and it doesn't become that formal kind of thing. So I, I, um, I like to be very clear 
clear about about what the expectations are in terms of of outputs and I, I think that leads to clear understanding and therefore no confusion and therefore happier people because confused people are unhappy people. So I am very strong with my team and I insist on it, which is you talk to people about issues, you don't email, you get up out of your chair and you go and have that conversation at the time and the moment when it's happening. When I got to Lend-Lease, we brought the building group who we had been in conflict, I think, since the beginning of time with. So development and building, whilst we're, we're, a, we're a vertical integrated model, um, but we're separate businesses, separate profit centres, different drivers, different levers. You know, they pull the lever that way, we go backwards. Um, so that is a really difficult environment to work in and maintain good relationships. And so I put everybody together. We used to sit on different floors and make people talk to each other and catch people when they're doing well and when they're behaving well. So my view of the world is culture is behaviour driven and behaviour is everything. And when people behave well, you've got to tell them. And when they behave poorly, you've got to tell them that too. And that's how you drive great culture. Do you believe the experiences of women starting in the legal practice as young graduates today is any different compared to when you started? Well, I started a very long time. It, it was so long ago, as I said, that it was, I was an articled clerk. Um, yeah, the short answer is yes. I think that it, when I did my articles, there was still, um, it was the 50 the balance pretty much that you see these days in terms of law graduates. So that hasn't really changed. And there was also a pretty square 50-50 at kind of the solicitor level. And there was then the challenge that we still have now, which is not enough women in leadership positions, in partnership positions and leadership positions. So some things have stayed the same, unfortunately, uh, but it is a much more informal environment to be in. When I did my articles, I had to call the partner that I worked for let's call him John Smith, um, I had to call him Mr Smith and he would have been, looking back on it, he might have been 40 years old and I was 20, I had to knock on the door, he's got this letter for you and he would mark it up in red pen. So that doesn't yeah. happen anymore and, of course, we have computers now. Um, we did have computers when I did articles but barely. Um, <laughs> I don't believe you. No, it's, it's tr I know it's hard to comprehend. Um, I think... The, the war for talent, if you like, is much more um, full on these days. And I think there is now recognition in law firms that we are a people business, people are everything. It's very expensive to lose people. Retention is everything. You have to have engagement. And so we try really, really, really hard with our graduates to make them feel engaged in the process. And there's certainly um, none of that running up to the county court and up people's dry cleaning and doing that kind of stuff. So to, to that extent, yes, it has changed a lot um, and there are some areas that, that, that have not changed. But I would like to think that it is a more, you know, I think the law has done a lot of growing up in the last couple of decades, become much more and dragged up to some extent um, by its bootstraps. So it's become a more modern, modern working environment and that people are given better, better and more opportunities. There are still structural impediments to 
women progressing into leadership roles. That is, that is still the case. Yeah, and I am interested in that construction aspect because mm-hmm. I guess that sort of leads on to the, the next question. I mean, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that because, I mean, construction... Well, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's very... It's always been considered to be kind of a very male-dominated industry, but I, I think the statistics, again, would show that there have been... Um, it coming through engineering and architecture for decades now has been pretty much squarely 50-50, so again, the male, the male domination perhaps has been at the more physical side, the physical working on site. I think that has yeah. changed a lot and also at the higher leadership levels. And people probably have heard of NAWIC, National Association of Women in Construction. That began in 1996. Um, the person who started that organisation had a lot of foresight because she realised that net, the networking opportunities perhaps were not there and they needed to be created I think I've been pretty lucky in this. I haven't been exposed to a lot of that, the behavioural issues that you hear about anecdotally working in the construction industry. I have not seen that at all. As a senior leader, what what sort of skills are you looking for when you employ? Oh, look, um, I think the given is that all grads who are coming out of of university now, they can all technically understand the, you know, the the technicalities of doing their role at the level that they're coming out at, which is a grad level. I think the the important thing for me is to I really test their communication skills and their ability to manage you know multiple stakeholders. I mean everything we do in every every day we work, every one of us, it's all stakeholder, stakeholder, stakeholder. You're a stakeholder, I'm a stakeholder. Individuals in terms of your company are, and everybody's pulling you in different directions. And it's how you're able to handle that, navigate your way through it. Think clearly, think on your feet. All of those things are the things that I really look for. And, and you know, having that sense of calm when everyone's going silly, you know, can you, can you be calm? Can you look at the situation and weigh it up and say, is this a signal or is this just noise? And so I look for people who can handle themselves in that situation because I wouldn't be interviewing people if they didn't have the... The technical capability and those sort of things. I think yeah. I think we all think They've jump that hurdle. Jump that hurdle. That's right. Yeah. So so to come and work in my business, you've got to be able to figure out what is a, what is a nonsense and what is something I need to concentrate on and, and and deal with quite quickly. So that's what I look for. And and I look for fun. People want to have fun at work because it's too long a day, you know, to <laughs> yeah. you know be not enjoying what you're doing and enjoying each other. So friendly friendly people yeah. are important. How have you managed to overcome the barriers of hierarchy to, um, or sorry, in the law practice? And I don't know whether this is cliche, but, you know, did you fight the way to the top in a hyper-competitive environment? Well, I think, look, the, the, the law firm I've mentioned, that was a very hierarchical environment, and ironically it still is. That law firm shall remain nameless. Um, I, I, don't, I don't feel that I had to fight really much at all. I didn't enjoy the first four, three or four years of my career at all I hated it it was boring and then just bang one day it totally clicked and I thought wow I get to draft contracts where a physical thing is built and then a couple of years later I did the managing contract to contract for Federation Square and that was amazing in the late 90s and so um, I, I have been incredibly lucky and all I the only kind of rules of thumb I've had is that if I've said yes to every opportunity I think that opportunities do not grow on trees necessarily and you should grab them when you can. And I have been very fortunate that I had a champion, I think is the right word. There were two male partners in the firm I spent 20 years 
who were totally amazing and they push, 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 Jane, you can do this and you can do that and you can come back to work and you can, and in those, you know, in the early 2000s when I came back from my first child, there weren't many people working part-time and they were like, you can do it, you can absolutely do it. And then I said, oh, I'm feeling really annoyed because I'm doing five days' worth of work and I'm only being paid for three. And he said, well, just we'll just put you back to full-time and you can only come in for three days and all of these things that are quite common now but it, it, to some extent but were unheard of then. So that that is what has enabled me to progress, I think, grabbing the opportunities and allowing people to support me and not saying, saying no. Those experiences, how have they informed the way you lead today? Well, I would like to and hope to think that I am similar and that I afford the people I work with similar opportunities and I, I like to would like to think that I push people forward. Sometimes people do need a push. I won't generalise and say women need a push. I think just pe- sometimes people need to be pushed and told you can you can do this and, and you are you are up to scratch. And in terms of the um, often talked about issue with regard to women and flexible working and all of that, I, I am I couldn't care less where my team is physically. I mean, if they have to meet a client, obviously they need to be there to meet the client. But um, it's very output-based and um, we are incredibly lucky that we have phones that we can send emails from, in my view, and if you get the job done, you do it well, then that's that's what I really care about. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like to think that I afford those people the same opportunities that were um, and flexibility that was offered to me. Do you think women require a certain amount of um, aggression to compete at top levels of the industry? No, I I think if you, I mean, you've just got to ask yourself how you feel when people are aggressive towards you, what result you think you might get from that. If you're aggressive towards people, they're highly unlikely to want to help you. Um, they're most likely to avoid you and um, you, you'll end up being that, that person in the office that no one really wants to, to deal with. So, no, I don't think you need to be aggressive. I think you most certainly need to be assertive, but assertive is not aggressive. It's, there is a distinct difference. Um, I think you've got to be yourself. And, you know, if my style is different to somebody else's style, I think, you know, I'm a more casual type of person, the way I like to communicate. I like to have fun at work. I think that works for me. That definitely suits me. Um, and I think being myself is probably the best approach because that's what I'm good at, being myself. So I don't want, I don't ever, I don't like that aggressive style and I think women who feel they have to do that, um, I, don't, I don't think you're on the right track. Yeah, totally agree. I think when you can't be a genuine self and you try and meet the boys' behaviours, I think you come off, unfortunately, second best. Yeah, I don't think the boys are, are like that so much either. I mean, I think things are, you know, people are evolving, thank goodness. You know, that that aggressive sort of behaviour is very much frowned upon. You know, it's just not on. And um, so women don't need to do it. Men don't need to do it. It's just completely unproductive. And it doesn't, you catch more bees with honey. You don't need to, you don't need to be aggressive. This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.